The Dad Presents, Episode 35, Rain Maida. It all starts right now. Hey, Dadheads, welcome to Episode 35 of The Dad Presents. We got rock star Rain Maida, lead singer of Our Lady Peace, coming up in just a few minutes. I'm super excited to talk to him. Uh, today it's just me. Uh, both B and Dog are out today. Where are they at? I don't know. Probably doing some black people shit. Probably at the movie theater making a lot of noise or I don't know. Now, actually, B is uh, he's got people in his house cleaning his pipes. So uh, I'm recording today from the homestead for the first time ever. So hopefully this will go well. Uh, happy Father's Day to all you guys out there. I had a, I had a good Father's Day. Um, I hope you all did too. Um, I love on Father's Day how all the feminists rush to Twitter and declare happy Mother's Day to all the single moms out there doing both jobs. I love that. It it cracks me up. And, you know, single moms do work hard, so I'm not mad at that. And they do deserve, you know, good wishes on Father's Day. I just think it's hilarious because it's like a woman just can't let you get too happy. You know, like the bride, she wants me to be happy. I think all women want their husbands to be happy, but not too happy. You know, just just the perfect amount of happiness. When you get start getting too happy and start walking around the house smiling all the time, they start getting suspicious. They want to get to the bottom of that shit and uh, stamp it out and bring it back down to earth. But uh, whatever, you guys. Happy Father's Day, and uh, let's let's bring Rain in and talk to him. All right, dad heads. Now we got Rain Maida, as promised, lead singer of Our Lady Peace. Um, just made a documentary with his wife, which was fascinating. He'll tell you all about it. Rain, first of all, happy Father's Day. Uh, did the kids do anything special for you? You know what? I had a show uh, Saturday in New Jersey with Bush and Live on this tour. Uh, so I, I actually caught a jet blue flight back to LA like at midnight and I got to sleep, which is a nice Father's Day present. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I know. I know you're on tour with those guys. It's uh, it's it's pretty cool for a '90s kid like myself. My son and I are actually going to catch you guys. I think you're at um the Greek in August. We're going to catch that show. I, I I took my son. I think it was last year. It was his first concert ever to see you guys. Maybe at the El Rey. Yep. And you've been his favorite band ever since. Now we're primarily a parenting show. Um. So, uh, first question is, you know, as a parent and as a rock star, do you, do you bond with your kid over music or since that's your job, do you try to bond with your kids over other things? I mean, music, uh, my kids are basketball fanatics, so I'm wearing my, we, the North hat here. Um, it's a big rapper parade in Toronto today, which we're missing, but you know, basketball music, definitely. Um, and it's, it's really interesting on the musical front because we get to explore like where I came from, where my wife came from and they definitely dig it. Like my, my youngest was digging on Peter Gabriel last night, you know, which is because he, otherwise he probably never, you know, it'd be hard for him to find his way to like Gabriel. Um, but then, I definitely hear from them, you know, like they introduced me to Billie Eilish like a year ago, you know, um, Anderson Park and, and, and they listen to a lot of hip hop. They're obviously they're in the basketball culture here in LA. Um, but I, I love the, there's this great connection and this kind of 
cross-referencing of, of like, okay, this is cool. Like they show me something like, but I bet you this is where this band or this artist was inspired from, you know, so I can go back and, you know, show them guys like Daniel Caesar. It's like, okay, he's a, he's a hip hop guy, soul guy, but he loves guitar. So maybe he listen to Hendrix, you know, or maybe listen to the clash. And I love that, that there's this, I mean, incredible palette right that you can draw from now and and i find a lot of the new artists are they're, they're going back and, and they're doing their, their homework in a way so that's why i definitely want my kids to be able to do that like go back to the beginnings sure sure now you mentioned your kids are, are way into basketball my boys too they're obsessed with it they're up at like 6 a.m outside my bedroom playing yeah. basketball waking me up they're, they're they're way into it big clipper fans um one of, so we, we typically will answer a parenting question every episode somebody writes in. So I pulled one that I thought would be good for you. Um, Pamela in Arizona, she writes in that she's got two boys. She's a single mom. She's got two boys and her boys are absolute maniacs. And she's asking, how do you guys deal with all that aggressive boy energy? Now, I know you have three boys, I believe. So how do you deal with it? Yeah, it's rough, actually. Thank God for basketball. I find like when they don't, when they don't get out on the court or they don't go to practice, it's, it's uh, mayhem. It gets really, um, you know, you see that energy that they, they haven't expended it. It's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that, that's kind of like, that's a really, you know, sports are really our go-to it's summers are great. Obviously they get in the pool and they can expend it there, but it's animal, right? It's they, they have so much energy and they need to get rid of it so they could be like normal people in the house. Exactly. Yeah. I, th- I think you nailed it there. I got two boys and I think the key is just to keep them busy, man. You got it. We got them in jujitsu. We got them in basketball. I mean, if we're not yeah. doing that, then they're just beating the shit out of each other. So yeah, you got to get them to spend that energy. Um, all right. So getting on to the, the documentary, um, man, I loved it. It was super honest and relatable. And I feel like any, any guy who's married would relate to this movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we, um, you know, there was a scene where you guys are walking around on a frozen lake. This, this scene really, really hit me. You guys are walking around or you're walking around on a frozen lake and your wife, Chantel, she's like, yeah scolding you to get off and it felt like from watching it you were just kind of pushing it to test her a little bit and that felt a lot like my marriage is that uh is that a dynamic in your in your marriage where you're pushing the buttons like that i mean you try i mean you try to be respectful and not do that but sometimes it's just fun and um you know i grew up in toronto winters lakes it's that that shit was always fun to do. So I I felt like I was pretty safe. But actually, it's funny because looking back at the footage, I I guess just from where I was looking, I couldn't see that it was actually melted in the middle of that little lake there. So I probably wouldn't push it that hard. But I mean, I, I think there's like boundaries, right, where it's playful um on one hand, but then you have to take your partner's cues in terms of actually, you know, what they're they're actually scared. And I think in that, I think Chantal was genuinely scared in that, um, yeah. That, yeah. that place, you know? Yeah. I mean, some of the most helpful advice my dad ever gave me was, uh, pick your battles, um, pick your battles in marriage. And it, it felt like in that scene, you definitely weren't. And there's another scene later, um, not to give everything away where you're, you're standing on this like super romantic, um, peninsula overlooking the ocean 
And uh, she wants you to kiss her because it's the most beautiful place that she's ever seen. And uh, she asked you for a kiss. And she says, if you don't kiss me, it's going to be in the movie, which it was. Uh, (laughs) Like, why? Why? Why didn't you kiss her? I mean, you know, there's backstory there, right? It's (laughs) like um, we really tried not to edit stuff out of this film because we wanted to keep it as authentic as possible, which is for time's sake. We've been walking like we walked up that hill, and um, I mean it was so cold there. I, I moved to LA 20 years ago because I hate the cold. So we were on this little French island, and like I said, we probably took 45 minutes to walk up and walk around this hill and, and see the sights of this little French, this beautiful little French town. But at 45 minutes in, my toes are frozen. I'm done. And that's, of course, when she said, let's, you know, have a romantic moment. And I was like, I was already headed down and I wasn't going to walk back up to her and I was just over it. But, you know, again, hindsight, being able to watch it back, I probably should have hung up there and, you know, struggled through a kiss, but I didn't. Yeah, no, I I appreciate you sticking to your guns there. And I I can relate. I moved to uh, L.A. 20 years ago as well for the for the same reasons, man. So I can relate Um, now. Taking on this kind of project with your wife, deciding to make an album and a movie with her, I I look at that like I I run a business. I would never in a million years try to do that with my wife. I find it to be actually brave. Like it, it it really had to test your marriage. Were you at all times one hundred percent confident that you guys were going to get through that? I mean, you you know what? There's a lot of risk to it, right? Because what you do is you put you know we're we're definitely like you were about family and and trying to be the best parents and, and raise, you know, um, compassionate kids and smart kids and kids that'll save this planet. But at the same time, we felt compelled to like try something musically because we Chantal writes for anyone from Drake to Kendrick to Brittany, you know, all these different artists. And I was doing that for a while as well while I'm producing. So we sat in rooms and wrote a lot of songs together for other people. We finally felt like we we wanted to do it for ourselves. But the problem is it puts a microscope on the relationship. So I guess the risk that I feel, even still today, it's like if things go wrong, they're probably going to go wrong overall. So it's probably going to mean that we can't even be together. So do we want to put that added pressure on a marriage and a family, which is already stressful today? But I think the the artist in us was just like, yeah, it's like we, we will really regret it if we don't try this. Now, whether we continue to do it, I mean, I, so far, so good. I think, you know, I think what the documentary shows definitely is that you got to do the work. You know, if you, you want to be a basketball player, you put hours in the gym, watch tape, analyze it, go back to the gym, blah, blah, blah. And I think we don't really treat relationships or marriage that way, per se. You know, we're kind of winging it most of the time. Um, and so we just decided to get ourselves, you know, about seven years ago, we started with Dr. John, we've done Imago, we did just different. And, and I love that it's been kind of morphed into like marriage coaching. Cause as soon as you use coaching, it's like, Oh yeah, I get it. Even my kids are like, Oh, that's cool. They're doing their coaching, you know, this week. Yeah. And it's like that stigma, you know, like the soprano stigma of, you know, Tony sitting in therapy. So the fact that it's not therapy anymore is, is pretty cool. And that, that definitely helps. And it's something that we'll just continue to do. But back to your thing, it's like as artists, I, I really think we would have regretted not doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just said something that, that sticks with me. You said, if you want to be great in anything, you got to put it in the work. And we have a lot of great people on this show. And that's a message I hear over and over from them. 
Um, and it's something I try to instill in my kids. Like, uh, if, if you want to be good at something, you got to put in the work. And yeah, that, as you said, that applies to marriage too. Marriage is fucking hard. It takes a lot of work. And I could see you guys working at it in that movie. Now, um, after the documentary, there was a, a Q&A that we sat through and somebody asked a question about future plans. And your wife said, she only wants to make music with you going forward. And I heard that and I was like, wow. Um, is that, are you guys planning more? Does that feel like pressure? Um, was that just something she said off the cuff? Didn't really mean. uh, No, I, well, I hope she meant it. I think it's, I think what it, what it is, is like, there's, you talk, we've talked about this for so long. The reason we shot the documentary is because we really, we just kept making excuses. It's like, Hey, we'll, we'll record a song tonight and never happen. Or we'll, we'll do some recording next week or next month. And it never happens. So five years later, we only had written one moon for sun song. And so the idea of getting away, flying like 4,000 miles to this little French Island with the film crew was like, okay, this is more responsibility. Um, so we're not gonna be able to back out of this as easily. You know, we can't make an excuse. We got to follow through. But having done that now, now there's like evidence of this project. Um, Moon vs. Sun is like this tangible thing. And I think it's really exciting now because before we always felt like we're, what's going to happen to it? If we do write a song, you know, how are we going to finish an album and, and, and do all this other stuff? And now that it's there and out there, I think it's it just gives you that or gives us that platform where I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we're right in the middle of, of just, you know, figuring out a deal for the documentary and album down here and and in Europe right now. And so it's busy, but I can't wait till that's all over with and it's out there and we can actually, you know, focus on, on just being moon versus sun, which is, it's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah. Very cool. Um, one more thing about the documentary and then I, I want to get into some Our Lady Peace stuff. Um, I noticed after, after the documentary, after the Q and A, there was like a little after party and I kind of observed you and you, you were very, very like a uh, sensitive, uh, observant guy like you 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 were working that room not working the room but you noticed everything that was going on and everybody was there wanted to talk to you and your wife and and i could just see you like paying attention to the details of who you'd spoken to who you haven't and that's like that's the exact opposite of me i'm the kind of oblivious guy who walks around into walls and doesn't pay attention to my surroundings so i'm wondering as a as a songwriter uh being so observant is that is that a strength of yours in the songwriting That's, that's really interesting. You say that I, I, uh, I'm not a guy to like work a room ever. I'm, I'm usually the one with the, uh, a scotch in the corner trying to hide myself, but that because that this is such a personal thing for us. I, and I, I just really appreciate that people came out to it. You know what I mean? Like it, um, I was humbled by the fact that people come and sit there and, and stay afterwards and want to talk about, you know, the doc, but being an observer is something that I've always um, never really kind of um, put into words like you did. I, 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 that's why I write lyrics is because I love sitting in line at a grocery store at Ralph's or Whole Foods or, or sitting in traffic and watching, watching these transactions go between humans. You know, I think it's really fascinating. That's what's always inspired me to write um, is just by observing and, and seeing like I said, pe- seeing that human dynamic at play in these real life settings, you know, uh, is always incredibly fascinating to me. And I still do. And my kids are like, dad, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I, I love listening to people like listen when I get to listen to conversations. It's really incredible. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think what draws me most to your music, um, is the lyrics. I love the lyrics are super introspective. Um, and I'm wondering from a, a writing point of view, do you, do you start with an idea and a concept and kind of flush that out and build the music around it? Or is it typically you've got some music and now let's put some, squeeze some lyrics in there. I think, I mean, I'm always writing, you know, I'm always writing uh, now on my phone, just in notes. I, I have just pages and pages of ideas and either little lyrics or just stream of conscious thoughts that I write down or conversations that I hear. Um, but I think as an artist, we're always looking for that perfect meld, right? It's like um, a chord progression that in, that really connects me to a lyric I've had or, or a set of words or some prose or something. It's like those things fit perfectly together. Or, you know, as, as a rock band, just we're doing sound check and someone starts playing something and it inspires certain words and sound and syllables even. You know, I get to like the minutia, like what syllables feel right over this color and it doesn't always happen, but like those magical moments where words just feel right over over a color or a chord or a beat, that's that's like the magic of music. And I think you're always struggling to get to that place. And we do. <clears throat> that's when you know you have something worthwhile, I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I, w- I want to ask you about uh, the Age of Spiritual Machines. Um, that, was a, that was a very important album for me. I really connected to it. And I feel like it's one of the greatest concept albums in, in modern rock. It's, it's tremendous. Um, you kind of based it on the ideas of, of Ray Kurzweil's book. Um, why, why do you so connect to that? It was just a fascinating time. You know, I think, you know, Ray is such, you know, Kurzweil, uh, he, you know, he's got like 300 patents. He invented the first keyboard, you know, like he's, he's a, a musician. And if you read the age of spiritual machine, it's very influenced by music. Talks about where, you know, music won't be written by people anymore. And he talks about, you know, getting deep into like 20 years ago when you're talking about cochlear implants and, and hip replacements and, and, and all these things that basically would bring us to um, this time now where, you know, modern, modern medicine can, can fix most things. We're not at that singularity cross point yet, but we are very close to where we're talking about you know, even Musk is starting to talk about really importantly, um, the rights of like robots and, and, you know, how, how do we give these machines that are, are going to have very high learning and exponential, you know, um, kind of dimension in terms of what they know and they'll, they'll very quickly outpace anything the human can know. We're seeing that already. Um, what kind of rights should they have? Um, so this is stuff that Ray was talking about in that book very early on. And it, just uh, i'm not really a futurist per se but i just it was fascinating you know and it was it was such a an important kind of read for me that um it felt worthy to like build a record around it and so we got to sit with ray and and know him pretty oh, well wow. had a few dinners with him and he'd sit there taking all these pills and you know his whole thing was like if you could live another 40 years you might be able to live together you know forever um so just a fascinating inventor um musician he's a musician uh and and we are on the cusp of like you know talking about spiritual machines too because it is 20 years later you know there's a there's a we got him to record a bunch of sound bites that i picked from the book on that album and 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 he's the guy that that's you know you hear speaking on the record and you know he talks about 2020 and the age of spiritual machines you know you won't be able to tell the difference. We're not, it didn't, we haven't reached that point, but we, we are getting closer. I mean, I follow all these sites where you see, you know, um, Boston robotics and all these 
these things are, I mean, it's incredible. It's happening in that, in that yeah. field. So we're definitely going to get there. Yeah. Very cool that you got to sit down with him. I, I didn't know that. That must've been pretty special. Um, we had a guy on this show uh, a few months ago, Zoltan Istvan. He's the leader of the transhumanist party, ran for president, fascinating guy and learned all kinds of stuff about this sort of thing from him. Now you brought up, um, music and what it might do to music and maybe music will be automated. When I was a kid, um, in my teens and my twenties, I was at the music store every week, just gobbling up new music. I haven't been in a music store in probably a decade, honestly. So bands like yours who, who sustain themselves on, on CD sales and whatnot, like how, how are you making up for that now? I mean, I think it's just about live music. You know, I, I, I think, the reality of the business really was except for a few artists, you, you know, you were getting big advances back when, when record companies were a thing and spending tons of money on video. So unless you sold like 20 million records, you weren't making so much off the record sales. You know, it was really about going out there and playing live. And it really still is. And you see all these artists like that's the live music has become on, on a, in a world where people just want stuff on demand. Like my kids don't watch TV. They, they just go on the Hulu or Netflix whenever they want and it's there for them. But if you want to experience a sporting event or music, you got to go live. And I think, you know, music will, will continue to grow on that front. Like it's the live, you know, we still need that socialization and, and, and even my kids, that's like, they don't really want to go out. If I say, Hey, you know, let's go out and see this movie tonight. They're not down with that. They, they're not, they don't get that. They're, they're not, there's no predisposition for them to go experience a movie unless it's maybe an Avengers movie or something. But for live music, they definitely are into it because it's, you know, the synapses that happen in your brain when you're in a group of people experiencing something together is an amazing feeling. And you just don't yeah. get that as much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're right. But does that mean that you have to tour more now than you were like even back in the nineties? I mean, we always really, you know, we're, we're a rock band. So we always, we always toured a lot. We definitely um, feel like that's, I've, I've always felt like that is the most authentic way to connect, especially today. Right. Because you can, you can pretty much manipulate anything you want in a studio. You can make music sound amazing, even though maybe those people aren't amazing, if that makes sense. But when you go out and play live, it's kind of the testament to whether you really got the goods or not. So we've always kind of prided ourselves on that and, and, and saw that as like, the most defining way for our lady piece or, or me Chantel as, as member's son and artists in general, like that's where you earn it. That's where you make that connection with fans and they believe you or not. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And uh, I mean, nothing's more fun for me than going to a live show. Um, now you, you guys have had a lot of mainstream success with, you know, clumsy and then um, gravity was even bigger than that. When you've had that kind of mainstream success, do you feel, pressure to keep making that kind of music and how do you not let that compromise uh the artistry of doing what you want to do i mean i think in, in a nice way the the whole industry is has kind of changed to where um there isn't that pressure like the mtv isn't mtv anymore you know like it was so important to have a video on there and have pinfield talking about you and and um you know, be on radio where it's not, it's, you don't really have to play by those, those rules anymore. You can kind of put music out. Sometimes it's more difficult to reach the fans, but with, you know, with, with the internet and social media and stuff, we have those tools in our own hands 
which is really great. So it gives gives an artist a, a lot of liberties, a lot of autonomy, and it puts the power back in the artist. And uh, I think I really like that. In terms of what kind of music we make, I we've always I don't think we've ever really we've probably to our detriment never really like followed what was going on or what we probably should have done. Like we probably should have made something that sounded like clumsy after clumsy, but we didn't probably should have done the same thing with gravity after that was successful, but we didn't. Um, so we kind of, we've always been left our own devices and, um, the music we're working right now, I, I think something, this is probably the one thing in the last decade that we've really felt like, Oh wow, we're on to something. We want to continue on this path because we didn't quite get there. So this next stuff that we're doing, um, in a, in a, like I said, there, there's talk about spiritual machines too, because we feel like we've been able to kind of get back to that place where there's this, um, futuristic vibe about the music. And, um, so that's what we're really working on right now. Yeah, man, that would be great. Um, speaking of somethingness, uh, that actually is my nine-year-old's favorite album. So you're, you're connecting with like a whole new generation of fans, which is amazing. Um, I wanted to, to move off topic a little bit. Um, you guys, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of Hollywood types, they talk a big game when it comes to helping and getting out there in the world. You've actually done it. Like you, you helped build a school in the Congo. You've been to Iraq. You've been to Darfur. Like you're, you're, you're getting in the trenches and doing it. Um, so thank you for that. Uh, where, where's that inspiration come from? Like what got you interested in, in helping like that? Yeah, it's funny, you know, like we we're talking about Gabriel and, and uh, introducing my 10 year old to Gabriel last night. There's something about those artists back in the day. I mean, I remember went to a Peter Gabriel concert in Toronto and I was, he spoke about amnesty during the concert and I was walking out, I was given the Greenpeace sticker. And so I think that that consciousness um, of being bigger than when you're, where you're born or where your community is and understanding that, you know, we're citizens of the world um, came to me really early on and then seeing the power of music. And I don't think it's a responsibility of musicians or athletes or anything like that. I think it's a responsibility of just being engaged and apathy is definitely boring. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of anyone who's doing something is better than nothing. I'm lucky because, you know, we're fortunate as artists to not have like day jobs. And so I have time to, you know, travel to some of those countries, war child. I, I, I will say I, I, we've picked war child in particular, you know, we're big advocates for mental health, but war child is a, is a, an NGO that we know the people, we know the founders, we know that they are, and I don't use this word lightly, but they are virtuous. They get up every morning trying to save lives and they have, you know, 13 or 14 programs around the world trying to help children that are affected by war. Simple as that. And, I am like at the best case, like a Monday morning quarterback. I, I am there to help raise money. I'll do these trips to help raise awareness, but I never confuse the issue. I'm not the person getting up every day trying to save lives. I'm just a, you know, a peripheral supporter. Well, you're humble. And, and, and you said that um, you're lucky in that you don't have a day job, but, but the truth of the matter is that most people with day jobs, if they didn't have those day jobs would not be going to Darfur it, you know, in the middle of a war. So I really commend you on that. Now you, you got a humanitarian award and I heard you in an interview and you said something to the effect that you appreciate the award, but it, it's a little uncomfortable in the way that skinny jeans are. 
and that cracked me up when I, when I heard that. Um, so uh, that shows me, you, you know, you're doing it from a genuine place and not for the accolades. So very cool. Um, Occupy Wall Street, you got into it. Um, I, I was into Wall- Occupy Wall Street. I was out there in, in a tent, one of those lunatics. The movement ultimately failed. Right. Uh, what's your take on that? Why do you think that failed? I, you know, it, 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 it failed on, a, on like a, on a global level in terms of did it create any real change? Probably not. But I think, Mike, we, we were down there. We, we, you know, our lady piece did a video for it. We got hammered for it, to be honest. I was really, I was actually really surprised by it, by our fan base coming out and attacking us for that. And I'm not saying everyone, but I was even anyone. I, I thought we had like the connection with our fans was on that level, but I think it, you know, I, I brought my kids, we marched in LA. They saw it. They saw the power. They saw the passion of like what we're fighting for. You try to like distill it into something very simply for that childlike mind of what we're, what people are marching for, why they're, why they're out here, why people are intense like yourself. Um, so I, I think movements like that, they, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I don't know if they're meant to, to, to create change on that day, on that month, but I think it, I think it engaged the younger generation and there'll be something that will be inspired by occupy that that comes along and hopefully um you know digs a little deeper and, and creates some more substantial change hope so now yeah you mentioned you got criticism when you when you made a song back then about that i remember that uh we had g love on the show and he brought up similar uh perspective he was very surprised when he got super criticized for a political point of view he took um, I've been, you and your wife met at a Pearl Jam concert. It's my favorite band. I've been to probably 30 shows. Every time I'm at a show, Eddie will get political and people start booing every time. So like as an artist, people connect with the music. They don't always want to hear the politics. So it's, it's, it's brave to do that. Cause you're, you're probably going to lose some fans every time you do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've never figured it out. Like there's, there's definitely, I've walked that fence of like, you know, being earnest or pretentious and it's, it's, it's very cloudy. Um, I, I get it. You know, I, I think, you know, especially these days you pay a lot of money for a concert. You don't want to be preached to about politics, I guess. But again, it goes back to like what type of person you are. And if you're engaged and there's intelligent conversation there, I think that, I think it's positive. It's just, it's it's a tough it's a tough sell unfortunately yeah yeah but um you know you, you got to do what you feel is right yep. um now i i didn't actually know this but i i, I read it last night that, that you've written some songs for kelly clarkson some other pop stars um which not the kind of music you do how do you get into that headspace to write a pop song for someone like a kelly clarkson yeah, I mean, I did it for a minute. You know, I got in. I, I I basically did it to help Chantel. She was she was Kelly came over to our house one day um, when she just won American Idol, and she was a really nice person. And they were writing, and they needed someone to like demo a song. So I did that, and then it turned into this thing where all of a sudden all these people were calling us to produce songs and write songs. And so, like I said, I did it for about four years, and then I kind of burned out on it. I, it's it's fine. I I get it. Um, but it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of, um, 
I, I ended up trying to defer. I was like, okay, whoever artist it was. And I, and I ended up working, I got the chance to work with some incredible, like, you know, one of my not favorite artists, but I've always really respected Martha Wainwright. Like she came to our studio for a couple of days and I worked with her. That was amazing. There's been some moments like that. Um, but with more of the pop artists, it's like, you know, I think it's important for them to always have a voice. So where, where I felt like my kind of, um, position was i was just trying to inspire you know regardless of like producing and and you know finishing songs it was more about like what do you want to say as an artist and trying to bring that out of them where i think in a lot of writing sessions that stuff's done for those types of artists and they just sit there and they'll sing it but it's like you know what no like don't 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 stand for that put yourself in this like own this so to do that you have to you know probably dig maybe deeper than some of those artists had to so that's it's kind of how I saw my role. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't think as I don't think I would want to give my music away like that, like right for other people. I, you know, I think that you're, you're expressing yourself. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. It's got to be tough. Um, I think that was part of it too. It's like I'm. Yeah, you're, you're right. I was never going to sit there and just write all these lyrics for someone and be like, here, you can have that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, as as mentioned before, I know I know you're busy. You're on tour. You probably tired. I don't want to keep you too long. So I just wanted to ask you one more question. As I mentioned before, one of my favorite bands, but you're my nine-year-old's absolute favorite. So he wanted me to ask when you guys are going to be putting out some new music, when, when, when you can expect that. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll give you this. We are going to record a song next week here in LA. We have uh, a few days off and um, songs called Stop Making Stupid People Famous. And we started playing. We started playing it over the last uh, few shows with Bush and Live, and the reaction has been amazing. So um, we we really didn't we didn't anticipate putting a record out. Um, and like I said, it'd probably be Spiritual Machines too in, until like January, February. Um, but I think music's going to come quicker now. So I'm, I'm actually really excited. Yeah, and I will send it to you guys first. Awesome! Very exciting. You can't can't wait to hear it. Um, all right, so. Uh... Thanks for coming on, man. And uh, tell tell all our fans where they can find you, how to find a tour, everything. I'm everywhere, man. You know, uh, uh, Our Lady Peace is on tour with Live and Bush all summer, all the way through like September 15th. Uh, Chantal and I have a podcast, Moonber Sun podcast, which debuted last week. Just talking to different um, couples that collaborate and seeing how they make it work, trying to get some more tips. Um, and uh, yeah, new music from Our Lady Peace coming soon. Awesome. Yeah, guys, check out Moon versus Sun. Um, speaking of that, sorry, I said last question. One more question. Who's the, the, the Moon versus Sun? Is one of you the Moon, one of you the Sun? What's that all about? Hey, yeah, I think, I think that's the beauty of it, right? It's like in, in these dynamic relationships between couples, usually, it's uh, especially with us, because Chantal's a very, uh, a very strong woman. It, it, it cha- it's always changing. And I love that dynamic of it. And, you know, some days you get to see, like yesterday, actually, saw the moon and the sun in the sky at the same time and everything's aligned. Things are beautiful. And then some days there is a little bit of a battle, but that's okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, Rain. I, hey, I really appreciate it. Keep making great music and uh, we'll catch you in August at uh, the Greek. Thanks cool, Matt. Great talking to you, man. All right. Take care. Peace. We'll be back with more on the dad presents after these words. Yo B. What's happening? You notice how chill and sexy I'm looking right now? Uh, no comment on that. 
Well, you, you noticed. Don't pretend you didn't notice. Mm, quite the opposite, <laughs> but what are you getting at? You want to know why I'm looking so chill and please, so sexy right now? Please stop talking and just tell me what, what you're <laughs> It's me at. undies. I'm feeling good. I'm wearing me undies. I feel good. And when you feel good, you look good. Are we really talking about your underwear right now? We're talking about my underwear. I don't want to talk about your underwear. Me undies are the best underwear you can get out there. And our listeners, we got a code for you. If you want some me undies, if you want to feel fresh, if you want to look good, go to meundies.com. Use the code word friend. Buy 20 for 20% off. That's a bargain at any price. So you, you said these are the best underwear you can get? Look at me right now. I don't want to. Look at me. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Go to me undies. <laughs> do what he said with the code. Get them. They're great underwear. That's all I'm going to say about My it. My nuts are so tight. I, I, you took it too far. How many times have your friends lay it down? Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I've, I've been a big fan of Our Lady Peace for a very long time. So that was a pretty big thrill for me. Um, great guys doing great things in the world, making great music. So I hope you enjoyed it. Um, so now, you know, it's, it's just me here in the studio. Um, as mentioned before, I'm recording from my house. I don't know what this sounds like because I'm not a tech professional, but I hope it sounds okay. If not, the masterful mix master b will clean it up in post um so just wanted to maybe talk about a couple more things i think i need to turn these levels down whatever like i know what i'm talking about talk about a couple more things uh now you know b is a professional and he usually prepares topics for the show i'm i'm less of a professional i'm more of a fly by the seat of my pants guy so i'm just gonna scroll through my facebook and twitter timeline and see what the fuck is up in the world um all right, so uh, I see we have chemical castration for child molesters in Alabama. Wow, man, Alabama is all over the news these days. I wonder how you guys feel about that. Uh, this is this is a this is a controversial one. So for me, you know, I've talked about this before. I feel like child being a child molester. Typically, if you are a child molester, if you're attracted to children, that's a disease that was probably put into you when you were a kid because you were likely molested. I mean, that's a fact. Most kids, most molesters were previously molested. Um, that doesn't mean that uh, it's okay to, to be a molester later in life, but it, it does give you a little compassion for how they got to where they are. At the same time, you got to do something to stop that person from becoming a molester. How do you do that? You can't exactly... Um, change someone's sexuality. We know that. We know that about, you know, gay people, uh, the, 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 um, sending them to pray the gay away and whatnot. It doesn't work. Uh, You can't turn a straight person gay. You can't make a child molester, not into little kids. So what do you do about that? Well, do you lock them up forever? I don't know. Maybe do you lock them up forever if they've never even touched a kid? Well, that doesn't seem fair. Um, but you got to do something because eventually they're probably going to cave chemically castrating them. I got to give this one more thought, but it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. You're never going to get rid of, of this disease unless you start getting rid of the disease. You know what I mean? All right. What else do we have going on? But, but, but uh, write me some letters to um, facebook.com at the dad presents. Let me know how you feel about the chemical castration. Uh, What else we got going on? I see here. Okay. Soccer girls are demanding equal pay. Oh, this one always kills me, the, the, the pay gap. All right. Yeah. Okay. I agree. They should get equal pay. I also demand equal pay 
for this podcast as what Joe Rogan gets. That's fair, right? I should get the same amount as him. I actually make negative money on this podcast. We have one advertiser and we spend more on promotions than we get from the advertiser in attempts to make this like a legit thing. You know, we're growing, we got a good audience, but we don't have Joe Rogan numbers. So is it fair? Should should we demand to be paid the same as him? Or are you paid according to the revenue you drive? Soccer girls don't get paid the same because they're not driving the same revenue. You know why? Nobody wants to watch girls soccer. It's boring. I shouldn't say nobody. That, that probably sounds a little sexist. Not, not nobody. But way more people want to watch men's soccer. You know, when you, when you go see a rock band, you want to go see Our Lady Peace. They're packing the stadium. People want to see them. You don't want to go see uh, Jay Maddie and the Psychedelics because they suck. They're not as entertaining. They're not as good. They're not the best. The girls, I'm not saying the girls suck, but they're not as good as the men. The men pack the stands. The men get the money. That's just how it is. Joe Rogan has a podcast with, I don't know, 70 trillion followers. He makes big money. We have a following of 60,000 not making the same money. And that's, that's just life. What else we have here? Um, man, I hope this sounds okay. If, if it doesn't, if it doesn't sound okay and we can't put this out, I'm going to be so sad. I'm going to be so sad. It's going to be, you, you're going to have to watch Jay Maddie to make sure he gets through the day without doing something stupid because I love that guy, man. And you guys didn't hear, but after the show, he invited myself and my boy Keller backstage for the next show in August. That's going to be killer. That's my son's favorite band, as I think I said about 17 times because I was so excited. Anyway, um, I got another. I, we only did one parenting question, so let's do a parenting question. Karen from Nebraska writes that uh, I have two boys. I do too, Karen. I feel you. And I have wall-to-wall carpeting in the bathroom. It stinks. What do I do? First of all, Karen, don't have wall-to-wall carpeting in your bathroom. That's disgusting. Be a, be a human. Have some dignity. Get the, get the hardwood. Get the tile. Get any, you, can't, you can't. Carpet in a bathroom is just a urine collector. It's just a urine and germ collector. You can't do that, especially with boys, because guess what? You're never going to get those boys to pee into the toilet. Never going to happen. Not in a million. I'm 46. I still can't pee in the toilet 100% of the time. Can't do it. Not going to happen. So you know what you do? Here's what you do, Karen. I want you to get your boys. I want you to take your boys. I want, to, I want you to put the boys in the car. I want you to drive to the Holiday Inn. I want you to get a room. I want you and the boys to stay at the Holiday Inn. Then I want you to drive back to your house. And I want you to get a can of gasoline. I want you to pour it all over your bathroom. And then burn it down. That's your only solution here. Burn the house down. That stink is never going away. All right. So, I, I mean, you guys are probably wondering where B and Dog are, where they are, you know, um, and you're probably thinking I'm failing miserably. Maybe I am. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying my best here, guys. All right. Uh, dog, from what I heard, you know, you guys know he, he just got out of, just got out of prison, living that hard life. And, and now he's a free man. We didn't just get out of prison, got out about three years ago, but he's just off probation. He's a free man. 
So he's not going to be here all the time. He wants to, you know, he wants to go to Tijuana. He wants to go to a donkey show. He wants to, he wants to travel the world. He wants to, you know, he wants to live. And uh, yeah, if he wants to go to a donkey show, that's, that's his, that's his business. I've been to a donkey show. You guys ever been to a Tijuana donkey show? Um, uh, don't do that. Don't do that. There's really, there's really no good reason to go to a donkey show. And uh, speaking back on sexuality, how I said, you know, you can't change someone's sexuality. Yeah. I was not interested. I'm not interested in seeing uh, donkeys get sucked off. And I wasn't before the show and I still was not after. And I don't know why they do that. Um, so, yeah, yesterday was Father's Day. I had a good day, man. My kids, my kids gave me an award. Uh, time man of the year, ladies and gentlemen. I am the time man of the year. So all you other dads out there, uh, you know, be happy with second place. But uh, I'm the man of the year. It's official. So that was cool. The bride asked me in the morning, she's like, you know, it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day. What do you want to do? Ooh, let's, let's go hiking. Ooh, let's go to a museum. Ooh, let's go to a movie. Ooh, let's blah, blah, blah. Let's go out to eat. Ooh, let's go out to eat. You mean like we did the night before for our anniversary? You mean like we do on your birthday, um, on Mother's Day, um, every other weekend? Here's what I want to do. Nothing. I want to do nothing on Father's Day. I want to sit there. I want you guys to walk around the house and refer to me as King Big Dick. And I did have my kids refer to me that way all day. The bride loved that. I want you to uh, bring me a beer when you notice my beer is halfway empty. I want 100% control of the remote control. I want to go in the garage and uh, get a little workout, stretch the body out. And then I want to go back to the couch and do nothing. That's what I want to do. They don't get that. She's like, oh, don't you want to go to brunch with, with my mom and my 17 sister? No, no, that's not what I want to do on Father's Day. I want you guys to leave me alone. I'd go golfing, but golfing's stupid. So I just want to be left alone. And it's not because I don't love you guys, because I do. And it's not because it's not because I don't like doing stuff. I do. But I just want to chill. I work hard. I take care of you guys. I want to chill. Okay? So, um, yeah. So, last night, chilling, Father's Day, I uh, went to the bathroom. My nose was itching. You know, your nose gets all, like, itchy and twitchy and whatnot. And I went to the bathroom and I look up in my nose, and there are trees growing out of this thing. I didn't used to have this. Now, I have a, I have a gargantuan nose. I have a gargantuan nose. Um, it should be its own country. It's huge. But I've never had a gargantuan hairy nose. Since I've started growing this beard, for whatever reason, like I guess my nose hairs see the beard hairs and, and they get jealous and they're like, oh, look at, look at them. They're going crazy. Let's go crazy. And they just start growing. And now I have these massive tree trunks growing out of my nose. It's ridiculous and I hate it. So I'm in the bathroom and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at my nose and I'm thinking about trimming it. And I get the, I get the what do you call them, the scissors. And I'm, I'm in the mirror and angling so I can see up the nostrils. And I look up there and I see that there's 
a tribe of Mayans in my nose working already to deforest my nose. There was a tribe of Mayans in my nose. That's how big my nose is. There's Mayans living in it. Mayans, you know, like the, the ancient people in Belize. And uh, I appreciate the hardworking Mayans and that they're trying to deforest my nose. I, I appreciate that. And uh, Belize is like my favorite place. Brad and I went there for our honeymoon. And the one night I took too much Ambien and I got up in the middle of the night. I sleep naked and uh, got up in the middle of the night and got in our golf cart and drove to a pharmacy that was about two miles away. And for whatever reason, I, I tried to get in the pharmacy. I parked the golf cart at the pharmacy and then walked about two miles back to our hotel and passed out by the pool to be woken up by the pool boy about 7 a.m. Um, and I mean, I, we only know all this because we had to piece that mystery together the next morning when I woke up naked by the pool boy who was, who was uh, and you know, I, I, you know, it's Jay Maddie. I had some morning wood going on. And uh, we had to piece that mystery back together. We had to figure out exactly uh, where the golf cart was, why I was by the pool. And anyway, point is, there's Mayans living in my nose, people. I got a big nose. Um, man, I need, I, need, I need B on the show to help reel me in. Um, what else is in the timeline? Anything? Mm, now we good. We good. We good. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut it there. Guys, please go to iTunes, like us, subscribe, write a review, tell the people, tell the world about J. Maddie B. and the dog on The Dad Presents. Uh, send some love. Send us your parenting questions at The Dad Presents. Follow us on Instagram at The Dad Presents and on Twitter as well. We love you. B usually uh, ends with the tagline, love your neighbor, love your kid, love your... I don't know what that shit is, but uh, it's catchy. So uh, I'll just, I'll let him keep that one. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in about a week. Peace.